Hey everybody, this is Giuseppe Rossi, and welcome to Pepito's Take. Before you listen to episode two, I want you guys to subscribe here below. So to continue from my first episode about my story, I finally signed for Manchester United. I signed my first professional contract, a dream come true for me, for my father, for my family. And um, comes August, August 2nd. Me and my family, we take off and we go to Manchester United. So when we get there, uh, we get to Carrington. The first person that opens up our door because he's going out and we're coming in is the great Ryan Giggs. Ryan Giggs, for my father, was his favorite player. And um, I got a liking, you know, always uh, watching him play and my father always pointing out things. Hey, you see how Giggsy does this? You see how Giggsy does that? So um, I fell in love with the way he played the game, the way he interpreted the game. And also him being a lefty and going down the wings and just taking on everybody and just being so precise and everything he's, uh, he did. He was the first person we found in Carrington. Um, a quick hello and, you know, we were just in shock because we're coming to the realization of Giggs is my teammate. Like, we're not there as, you know, fans and, yeah, hey, come and sign an autograph for us, you know, uh, this or that. No, we're there as teammates. So that was the first encounter at Carrington with, with the player, with any player from Manchester United at that time. Um, they take us up. We go into the office waiting for Sir Alex Ferguson. He comes in. I'm not kidding you. It's like as if, as if God entered the building and there was like lights shining down. And I'm like, the aura, the energy that Sir Alex Ferguson had around him was just, was just crazy. And we know him as the man of Manchester United. Like I said, I grew up watching them play. I grew up watching the strikers, Andy Cole and Dwight York play. You know, my dad loved Giggsy, right? So Sir Alex Ferguson was always a constant because he was always uh, the coach. He was always the person in the dugout uh, giving directions or whatnot. And you just saw him dressed up so precise and so clean and so serious during the games, right? And then there he is in front of us laughing, joking around, just saying things to make us feel comfortable. He didn't impose his, uh, his will. He didn't impose his person upon us to make it feel like as if, hey, yeah, you're dealing with Sir Alex Ferguson, like, respect me. No, 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 no. He treated us as if we were family. And that's something that we'll never forget. That's something that we'll always be grateful uh, to Sir Alex Ferguson. So we signed a contract. We take our pictures, a lot of pictures with, you know, with the whole family and him, everybody holding the scarf up. Mind you, I'm 17 years old. I didn't do anything in the soccer world yet. And he's there taking his time to make us feel comfortable during a photo shoot, right? And then you fast forward and we get into training sessions. And I started off in the reserves. So you have the first team, which are the big guys. And then you have the reserve team, which are the players who bounce in and out of the first team. Uh, some people just stay on the reserve team their whole entire year. Uh, in England, they do have um, a professional league for the reserve teams. Uh, they compete in different leagues, which are lower leagues. And people could, people could have um, a career in the reserve leagues if they want. So you have some players who were 25, 26, 27, who are older. Some players who are younger, like me, the 17-year-olds, the 19, 20-year-olds, and whatnot. Um, the day after, actually, August 3rd, another player signed for us. He was the same age as me, 17 years old, Gerard Piquet, who became one of the best center backs in the world, in my opinion. So he signed the day after me, uh, the day after I did. And we became friends instantly because, you know, we were two foreigners. We were uh, the only two young ones that were in the reserve team that were bouncing back and forth from, from the first team. And uh, we created a great a great, a great relationship uh, still to this day. I don't hear him as often, but I remember playing against him in Spain and always laughs and always, and always, just, always just reminiscing about things that we did in the past uh, down in Manchester. Uh, we, we actually created the little group of, of uh, foreigners, if you want to call it like that. It was me, the Italian, Gerard, who was the kid from Spain. You had a German in Marcus Neumeyer. You had a uh, Belgium and Flor and Floribert Angula, uh, Eng Angalula, sorry, Flor, <laughs> and uh, that was our little clique. That was our little clique, and we just felt comfortable, you know, 
chilling and just being together because that's what you do, right? You try to gravitate towards people who have, I'm not going to say the same problems, but the same difficulties in integrating into a different culture. Going on about, you know, my reserve training sessions and doing well, um, we, we used to always have a chance to go into the first team. Uh, go into the first team and train with them. And I'll never forget my first impact. The first thing that I noticed from the transition, reserve team to first team soccer was the pace of play. The pace of play was just ridiculous. The thought process was just so much quicker on how these players were able to process the game, make a decision, and react, right? I thought that, yeah, hey, I'm excelling in this training sessions with the reserves and I'm doing well and whatnot, it'll be a little bit easier going into the first team because it's almost the same. No, it's light years, light years. So that's why it does take time for, for a youth um, to get used to rhythms, to get used to the physicality, to get used to the demands physically of this game. If you're able to control the game mentally and process the game mentally at a higher, fast pace, then everything becomes much easier Everything becomes much slower and therefore more time on the ball to, uh, to make a decision. Easier to, to have fun while you're playing the game because if you're able to make the game slow down mentally, then it's just going to follow down to your feet on how you prepare the ball and how you make certain decisions with the ball at your feet, right? So that was something that, you know, needed time. And I was able to cherish every moment. I was able to learn from the best because you're talking about players in my position like Wayne Rooney that they signed, I think, a month prior that, that I came. And he was 18, 19 years old. You had, uh, you had Rude Van Nistelrooy, for me, one of the best nines that I've ever seen in the past 20, 25 years. His quickness in the box to turn, to find that opening, to take the shot, to try to find the, the right angle with his touch to get past the goalkeeper, to get... There's an art to that. There's an art to that. And he just mastered it beautifully. And you can see the goals that he scored, they're not those goals of where he's taking on 50 players and just going on and scoring, even though he did against Fulham, which was a ridiculous goal. But the way that he was just able to control himself in the box, knowing where he is, that subtle movement with the body, that, sudden, that subtle little touch that moves the ball a little bit, then taking that quick shot is just something so beautiful, something that you work on, something then that becomes yours and you master it. So he had that, and I was lucky enough to see it, and I was lucky enough to try and imitate it at a young age. We had Luis Saha, we had David Bellion, I remember. We had Cristiano Ronaldo. Yes, he was a winger during the time, but he was scoring many, many goals. That was, that, that was my first impact on the first team. I was able to get a few training sessions in with them, and in England, especially at Manchester United, during that time when I was there, they, they believed a lot in the young players. They tried to give chances to the young players. Usually they would do that in the FA Cup. They would do that in, at the time, they called it the Carlin Cup. And November 10th, 2004, there was an FA Cup game against Crystal Palace. I got the good news that I was going to be on the bench. I'm just getting goosebumps right now just thinking about that. The feeling was like, oh my gosh, we're going the first team. We're actually going to be playing at Old Trafford. We're not even playing. We're going to be on the team, Old Trafford. I'll be doing the warm-ups on the field with all the players and whatnot. So that was a very, very exciting moment for me. That was a very exciting moment for, uh, for my whole family. Being at the field, getting on the bus with, uh, with the team, staying the night before, at the hotel, which was something very new to me because we didn't do that at the, at the reserve level, um, nor did I ever do it when I was a young kid at Parma. These are all new things that are just, you know, coming to me, asking a million questions. Not too much of the players because I was very shy, but more to the, to the team manager uh, because I had no idea what I was doing. The only thing I knew that what I was doing was on the field, but off the field I was like, all right, when is dinner? We're eating together. We're going to a hotel before the game. Why, why are we doing that? Um, what, what are we doing during warm-ups? Do we all go out or do the people who don't play stay in, stay in, um, stay in the changing room? Uh, things are just so different, right? But you have to be a good observer. You have to be a good listener as a, as a young kid. 
and just take in everything possible. And that's what I tried to do. I started the game. I'm on the bench. And uh, we scored. I think we were up one nothing in the first half. Second half comes in. We're up 2 nothing In England, which was something new that I never knew, they always let the players go out and warm up on the sidelines in the first half a couple of times, a couple of times in the second half. Not because you're going in just to stay warm. Um, so in the first half, I was out there warming up on the sideline, nervous as hell, man, because I'm like, this is crazy. I'm actually, I'm actually at Old Trafford in front of 70,000 people at an FA Cup game against Crystal Palace on a Wednesday or Tuesday, whatever it was. 70,000 people on a Tuesday or Wednesday watching an FA Cup game, a fourth, fourth round, fifth round, whatever it was. I'm out on the sidelines two times in the, in the first half. I get out the second time in the second half. We're up to nothing, and I hear my name. Rossi! Man, I turn around. I start sprinting. He's like, you're going in. You're going in. The moment comes. I'm on the sideline. Giuseppe Rossi, number 42 on the back. I think it was, Dev I think it was David Bellion who, who, uh, who comes out. I get in. I do my sign of the cross, and there you go. My debut. Nervous. My legs were shaking. I'm not joking. My legs were shaking. I get on the field. I 70,000 men on me. Literally, the, the theater of dreams, Old Trafford. All 70,000 are on top of you. So that was something I never felt before. That was, that was a dream come true. But when you're dreaming it, you don't really feel what it is to be in that position in that moment. So I was trying to take everything and I was trying to block away all these distractions. But how are you going to do that at 17 years old when all the lights are on you, when you got all these, all these players around you, the fans, the noise, wearing that shirt? Because that shirt meant something. Like it was a Manchester United shirt, man. And I'll never forget the first ball. We were on the, maybe on the 20-yard line. The ball pops up in the air near me. So the ball's up in the air maybe like 15 feet. I'm thinking in my head, hey, first ball you're going to touch in your career. The ball's coming down. You're going to smash that and score. So the ball's up in the air. starts coming down. I'm coordinating myself. I go for it. I start kicking it. Totally missed the ball. Totally missed the ball. I whiffed it. The ball goes away from me. Maybe like five or six feet. I made sure that I went to that ball and recovered as fast as I can to then pass it back to the guy. Pass back to my teammate, obviously. And that's what I did. And I got actually an applause from the from the fans in England, because the fans in England, they appreciate the hustle play probably more than a great goal. Uh, so that's something that I learned very, very quickly in English, uh, in English soccer. So that was my first, first time that I touched the ball on the field at Old Trafford. My first game, the emotions were running crazy high, but after that first ball, everything went back to normal, and I just enjoyed it. I loved it. I probably touched maybe seven, eight balls in 15 minutes that I played. I felt like I was there playing for 90 minutes because I was running around the whole field. I was so tired at the end of the game. Um, but it was just it was just amazing. Amazing that, you know, this whole journey that we went through, me and my father and my mom and my sister, uh, being able to, you know, see them in the players' lounge at the end and just and just have that hug that lasted maybe a couple seconds more um, than usual. It, it was just it was just beautiful. It was beautiful. It was a dream come true. And I understood. My father made me understand that, listen, this is, not, this is not your destination. This is just the beginning of something. And, yeah, that was my, that was my moment. That was my, that was my debut, uh, number 42, November 2004, 17 years old. Wow, that was crazy. I'm going to talk to you guys about my first goal that I scored with Manchester United, which was my first goal in my whole entire career. I had my first game under my belt. And that was a big accomplishment. And I'm um, continuing to train with my, with my, uh, with the first team. And doing very well. I'm gaining slowly the respect of the players, the trust of the players, which for me is so important, the trust of the players, because you want to make sure that the players want to give you the ball and know that you're not going to lose it. And know that you're going to make the right decision with it. Uh, know that you're going to make the team flow the proper way when you have the ball. And that's something that was very important to me. And I was gaining that slowly and slowly and slowly. 
during this training sessions, I'll never forget a few things still to this day that like stick with me. I don't know why they just stick with me. Um, I remember getting past Gary Neville. Um, to this day, uh, I, I have it like right here in my brain to where the ball's coming to me. Uh, he's coming behind me hard because people in England, man, they come in hard. They're not, they're not scared to you know tackle your own teammate. So I made sure that um, I knew where everybody was around me while I did have the ball because I'm somebody who likes to take on players. I'm a technical player, so you know I got hit a lot during my career. But there was uh, Gary Neville behind me, and I made sure that I made like I made sure that I got past him nicely and clean. And I'll never forget Real Ferdinand's uh, reaction after that during during the training session. So that was something that just stuck that just stuck to my head. I remember against uh, Gabriel Heinz, um, able to do something to where I got past him, and I'm able uh, to shoot on goal against him, Howard, and just you know post goal, uh, which was a beautiful move, a beautiful play. Um, same thing. We're taking free kicks, and uh, a story about Tim Howard where. Uh, me and Timmy actually had a had a had a good, had a good relationship with um, within like you know the team and whatnot because we were two kids. Um, he was from New Jersey, I was from New Jersey, so we had a lot of things in common, and uh, we used to play basketball together. I remember sometimes down in Carrington, uh, he shot a commercial, so I was his prop. I remember, and it was fun, man. It it, it was fun to uh, it was fun to be a part of it, and you know during training sessions, uh, we would take free kicks, so. The first free kick I take, there was Scolzi was taking them, Ryan Giggs was taking them, uh, Ronaldo Rooney, they were all taking them. So, you know, I kind of put myself among them and, you know, trying to take these free kicks with them. So uh, uh, here comes my turn. I'm taking a free kick, upper 90, impossible to get. Timmy was heated. He was heated. He's like, all right, a 17-year-old kid who's doing this, who, do you, who does he think he is, blah, blah. So he starts shouting. He's like, I bet you can't do it again. I bet you can't do it again. So, um... So I go up. I was a little bit scared, man. I'm like, all right, like, what's gonna happen if I score? Like, I have to be careful or whatnot. I was, I was a little bit nervous. I take my second one. You guys all think that I scored. I totally missed it. I didn't shoot it as good as I did the first one. He got into my head, but I'm gonna use that as, um, I'm gonna use that as a learning curve to where if anybody talks to you during a free kick, a penalty kick, or whatnot. Never give in to the to the distractions uh, that are that are around you. So that was a very good learning curve, Timmy. I appreciate that, man. I'm I'm just thinking about these crazy things that happened during during the, um, our training sessions where they still like stick to you, man. Just because just just because there are moments that are you know so important to you that mean something, which is getting past players, scoring your first goals in training. I'll never forget when I. When I nutmegged Wayne Rooney in a um, in a possession game, which I thought that after that I was gonna get clobbered by him because he was somebody who went in hard too, right? Um, but thank God he didn't. Maybe he appreciated the technical part of it, like like the technical the technical aspect of it, and therefore didn't want to, you know, come in at me on the next ball. So these are small little things that still to this day I do remember, and it helped me gain confidence. It helped me. Gain the trust from from my teammates, and um, I was getting called up to the first team to the games, uh, but I was never really getting in. I was part of the, I was part of the team, um, I was part of uh, the traveling squad or whatnot. wasn't really able to uh, uh, get minutes. But fast forward to a Premier League game against Sunderland. I was on the bench, and um, we're up two nothing. Seventy seventh minute, I assume. Uh, Sir Alex Ferguson tells me, hey, you're coming in, Rossi. I was like, let's go. I get in. I get in for Ruben Destroy. Maybe after two minutes, Sunderland scores. So they're thinking. I was 18 at the time. So I, just, um, I just turned 18. They're probably thinking. They're, uh, they're probably thinking 13 minutes left, 2 nothing. We'll put in the young kid. There shouldn't be no problem. They score. So it's 2-1, 79th minute, 80th minute, whatever it was. And, um, you know, st things start getting a little bit shaky, a little bit nervous, whatnot. Um, I was partnered up with Wayne Rooney um, up top, and I'm seeing, I'm, I'm seeing Waza going all the way back, you know, trying to, do the, trying to defend the result. So I'm kind of stuck up top by myself. Um, anything to get the result. So 84th minute, 85th minute, ball pops up at midfield. Wayne controls it, finds me, 
I'm able to turn and face Sunderland's goal, um, which is the best position that you could ever be in, uh, be in soccer, turning around, facing the goal of your, of your opponent, dribbling up a couple steps, I take my shot, and I score. Bro, I'm not telling you. Blacked out. I'm running. I don't know where I ran to. Um, what I did remember and what I, what I remember feeling was everybody coming on top of me, jumping on top of me. Uh, Edwin Vandersar, love that guy, he came from his goalkeeper position all the way up by me to jump on me, um, to celebrate. Um, I heard, I didn't see, but I heard Vandersar, who was already on a yellow car, wanted to jump onto the field and be part of that mob because, uh, because he wanted to celebrate with us. But um, they were telling me that Sarag's person was holding him back so he wouldn't get the, so he wouldn't get the red card. And also, I'll never forget that underneath that mosh pit, I couldn't breathe. I could not breathe. And I couldn't, and I, and I didn't know why, right? I just, I, I, I had no idea why. I was looking at the pictures of like a week or two after. And the reason why I couldn't breathe was because Rio Ferdinand decided to put his hand over my mouth, over my nose while we were celebrating. For what reason? I have no idea. And I was, I was so happy, but I was also like saying, yo, guys, like get off of me because I'm about to, because I'm about to like faint, like something's going to happen. Um, so that's actually what I do remember. I, I do remember the joy, but I also do remember the part where I couldn't literally breathe. Um, but that was fun, man. What a freaking moment that was. I'll never forget that moment, man. That was just beautiful. Sunderland, three to one. Um, it finishes three to one. And uh, my first goal, my first goal at a professional level, my first goal. With that shirt, um, I was a little lucky because the shot that I did take hit the defender. So it went right out of reach uh, from the goalie's uh, hand. But I could care less, man. I could care less because, because a goal is a goal. It doesn't matter how it is. A goal is a goal. So what a moment. What, what a moment that was uh, for my career. Uh, that first year with with Manchester United was was awesome, man. I... Uh, um, I checked off a lot of things off the bucket list. So year two starts, and I was able to continue getting more games. I was able to realize more dreams that I had when I was a kid, which was playing in Champions League. Um, I remember at the Old Trafford Stadium against Dinamo Zagabria, um, I, was able to, um, I was able to debut and finally play a European match. Um, I was able to... Uh, play more games in the FA Cup, uh, more games in the Carling Cup, and um, you know, scoring my first goals uh, at Old Trafford, uh, which was something, which was something great. And in that second year, we were able to win the Carling Cup, which was uh, a tournament that I played a lot of games in leading up to the final, which I didn't get a chance to play. Um, it was the finals against Arsenal. We all went uh, to Cardiff. Uh, to watch the game, we were part of the team, but didn't get a chance to get minutes in. But it didn't matter just because, you know, you felt as if you were part of something, and um, and yeah, that was the first taste of silverware. I'll never forget actually during the celebrations. We just signed Vidic, and Vidic didn't play any games, no minutes during the Carling Cup, and obviously he was part of the team. And uh, when we won it, you know, we were doing, we were celebrating, we were going around the stadium, just applauding the fans and whatnot. And I didn't receive a medal because I wasn't part of the team that played or that was on the bench. I was in the stands. And therefore, only those players got the medals. Vidic, during our celebration, looked at me and said, this medal is for you. He takes it off. He puts it over my head. He says, you deserve it, not me, because he knew that I played the games that he didn't. And that was such a selfless act that I will never forget, something that um, I, I don't think would ever happen again in soccer, just because in soccer there's just so much ego, uh, there's so much me, me, me in soccer, where gestures like that are very, very, very rare. I still have that medal in my room. It's something that um, I will cherish. I will cherish forever. Thank you for that gesture. So during the so during the training sessions, 
um, being my second year and getting to know more of the players, you know, things became more natural. Yes, I continued to play in the reserves. During that year, the reserve team, we were unbelievable. We had some amazing players, players who had great careers also after. Uh, not only me and Pique, but we had other players um, that did so well. Um, I remember playing up top with Fraser Campbell. I remember playing up top with Sylvan Blake. Uh, obviously, Marcus Neumeyer, uh, Flori Berengalula. Um, we had uh, David Jones. We had Tom Heaton, who right now is the second goalkeeper uh, of Manchester United. And it's just so cool to see him uh, being part of that team right now, man. It, it just gives me chills because he's such a great, great guy. And uh, for me, was a great, great player uh, when, 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 when we were together down at the, down at the reserves. Um, uh, Phil McShane Johnny Evans man how could I forget Johnny Evans who's there too right now at Manchester United so we had a squad Ryan Shawcross Danny Simpson man we were good we were good we were stacked um, and that year every tournament every league everything every cup possible that we went to we won and I don't think that that that, that has been done uh, ever since personally I was scoring many, many goals. I was leading the whole country in goals. I'm not sure if, if till this day I still hold the record for the most goals uh, for Man United at, at the reserve level. I hope I do. <laughs> but if I don't, you guys tell me if, uh, if things have changed. But it, it was such a great year because getting more playing time with the, with the first team and doing so well in the reserves and gaining respect from the players. Um, the beautiful thing about Carrington was that the reserves, the youth, and the first team were always together. So if you had a great game at the reserve level, the first team players would be like, hey, good job here, good job there. Um, you know, it was a good, there was a good mingling between the reserves and the first team players. And therefore, that's how you gain your respect. Um, always showing up and making sure that you're doing the right things, uh, not only on the field, but also off the field, in the training facilities. And I'll never forget, actually, something that I learned after my career, uh, a little story with Roy Keane during training. So when you gain that confidence and when you gain the trust of these players, right, your personality starts to kick in, right? That character during training starts to be a part of you. People start realizing who Giuseppe Rossi is, right? And therefore, of course, my personality came out. I didn't really talk a lot. It was more about the way I played. And somebody sent, him, sent this to me about three or four years ago. Roy Keane, he wrote a book. He wrote an autobiography. And in that autobiography, he states this. Um, during a training session, an 18-year-old boy who was training with us gave me a very dirty look after I told him to pass the ball, to do it quicker, whatever it was uh, that I told him to do. When I saw that, he turned around and gave me that dirty look. I was very close to going to him and to punch him in his face. I was able to refrain myself from doing that and thought to myself, you know what, I respect this kid. This 18-year-old player was Giuseppe Rossi. And when somebody sent that to me, I was like, wait, what? I was like, me? I actually did that? So I was actually kind of like proud of myself. I'm like, all right, all right. Like, at 18 years old, I was able to hold my own, kind of, kind of, because if he came at me, I was dead. Uh, but I was able to hold my own and have that respect uh, out, of, out of a player that is so important to the team that was our captain, uh, that made history on this, uh, that made history for this club. So that was something that was actually really, really cool. And uh, it's a story that I do tell a lot of people, um, especially if they think that I'm soft. So don't ever think that I'm soft because I'm not. <laughs> um, yeah, like these little stories, man, they just, they're just so great to talk about and to reminisce because, because those were the best times of my life, definitely. So after my second year doing well, scoring goals, uh, getting more playing time, I wanted to be more part of the first team. I wanted to play more. 
And uh, I understand, and I and 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 I think Sir Alex Ferguson he did understand that. And uh, comes season three, with Man United, I was able to go out on loan. I was lucky enough to go to Newcastle. And when I say I was lucky enough to go to Newcastle, I'll tell you why I say about lucky. Newcastle was a very interesting experience. Big club, massive club, fifty thousand people at every stadium. The fans were just amazing. Till till this day. They haven't won anything, but the fans are still there cheering them on. And that's something that, um, that many fan bases uh, should see. Many fan bases should see the way that they treat their players, the way that they go about every game, their love for the team, their love for, for those colors, man. It's just, something, it's just something crazy. And I don't think many people would have that patience as a fan uh, to stick around a team that hasn't won forever, right? So I'm finally on loan to, you know, Newcastle. And on that team, you had ballers, man. You had Michael Owen. Uh, you had Nicky Butt, who was the next Manchester United player. So, um, so, so that was really cool to see him there. You had Damian Duff. You had Emre Belozoglu. You had uh, Ameobi. So you had really, really good players. The only thing that was missing, in my opinion, was actually a good coach. The coach we had, Glenn Roder, was probably one of the worst coaches I've ever had in my career. The reason being, our training sessions were horrendous. We would be in the middle of the circle doing a rondo with three people in the middle, do that for 20 minutes, and then we would play a game for like an hour. And I'm like, what am I, what kind of training sessions are these? It was a continuous, the continuous thing, the same thing, and then we'll do shooting at the end. But what am I learning as a young player? What am I gaining from all this, right? Not much. What I'm gaining is a different, different way to look at the game, right? For me, the way to interpret the game was just very, was my beliefs growing up, was in the Manchester United way. And now, we're, now we have a different way of looking at it. And I'm like, oh, really? So it's not always this way, the same way that I see it, the way that Manchester United does, the way that I grew up watching and all, right? So there was a different way of looking at the game, interpreting or, or whatnot. And therefore, that just kind of broadens, broadens your view of the game, right? And it makes you realize, all right, maybe instead of just uh, looking at it this way, I'm able to look at it differently, but not get caught up in those negative aspects of the game. Newcastle giving me that type of experience, giving me a different side of the game that I didn't think existed, even though it's in a negative way, helped me fortify my mental aspect of the game and how I want to approach every training session, how I want to approach every game, how I want to communicate with my teammates, trying to be the leader, telling them things the way that I think the game should be played, the way how I view the game. So that's the reason why I'm saying I'm thankful for that experience because it made me realize different things, things that I thought that never existed in the soccer world. I was able to play 11 games, which was great. I was able to score a goal, which was so cool, but I wanted more. After my loan spell with Newcastle, which ended January 1st, um, it didn't go how I planned. It didn't go how Sir Alex Ferguson thought it would be. So therefore, we asked to go to Italy. And the interest from Parma was there. And that's where we went. January 14th, I think it was when I went to Parma, to June. That was probably the start of, of my career in the sense of playing regularly at a professional, at the professional level. So I was, um, I was 19 at the time. And uh, Padma, they weren't doing too well. They were second last. And uh, they were struggling a bit. When they wanted me, they wanted me to play from the first game to the last. And that was something that I was looking for. That was something that I needed to, to just, just uh, feel confident that what I'm doing as a player, how I'm playing right now as a 19-year-old kid, is a way that could be sustained at the highest level regularly. I fly out to Parma, and after one week, there's a game already against Torino. We're playing at the Parma Stadium, and uh, the coach is Pioli. That game was, 
was the game that put me on the map. Put me on the map because I was very eager. I wanted to play. And that game, I was doing so well. I was getting past my guys. I was creating. I was taking shots on goal. I was showing personality. Um, and uh, the, But the only thing that was missing was that goal. Was that goal to get us, you know, those three points. To get us past that little hump that we needed, uh, you know, to start to start to get things rolling again. 84th minute. Paolo Castellini on the left crosses the ball a little bit long. I was waiting on the second post. With my first touch, I get past my defender. I take another touch. Two other defenders start collapsing on top of me. Outside, inside move. I get past these two players. I'm one-on-one in front of Massimo Taibi. Ex-Manchester United player too. I'm not trying to place it. I'm not trying to, I'm just blasting the ball, hoping that it just goes in. And that's what I do. Boom, blast the ball, left foot, goal. one nothing. 84th minute. I'm going around like crazy. The stadium's going, going wild. And I'm realizing, hey, I actually scored my first goal in Serie A, a league that I've been watching since I was a little kid. And just being able to, you know, score my first goal and... Uh, you know, having everybody going wild and just being an important part of a team victory from minute one to minute 90 was just amazing. It just gave me continuously, it just continued to give me that confidence that I needed to be like, you're on the right path, Giuseppe. And, um, and that was the first victory that Padma had in a very, very long time. Um, the couple games after that, we lost. Uh, unfortunately, Pioli got fired, and here comes Claudio Ranieri. And he brought a different uh, type of energy, a different type of way of training. Um, his experience at the time was vital for the group. And we felt that with him, we were able to, you know, conquer the world. That's the type of confidence that he gave us. And uh, he continued to show faith in me. He continued to play me every game, young kid, 19 years old, being able to, you know, take on a lot of burden, a lot of pressure. Uh, that's something that I love. That's something that I thrived with. And yeah, you fast forward to June. I was able to play 20 games. I was able to score nine goals. From 19th place, we finished 10th. I'll, I'll never forget at the end of that last game, uh, we were on the bus and going through the city of Bottom, all the fans going crazy because we were able to, um, you know, not get relegated to Serie B, which is so important for Barma during that time. Uh, fans, fans singing my name saying, Giuseppe, stay with us. Giuseppe, stay with us. It felt so good, man. I'll never forget, actually, on the bus in the city center, I'm seeing my family that are actually walking. Uh, they're there, like, among all the fans, and I'm, like, waving to them. I'm going crazy. They're going crazy, you know, just uh, singing and waving back to me. So that's something that, that sticks here with me, um, which was a, mo it it was a special, special moment. But, yeah, I, uh, that, was, that was the lone spell that put me on the map at a professional level um, that made me say, you know what, man, you're made for this. You're made, for, you're made to play at this level. Continue doing what, what you're doing. I get to Manchester United the year after, and I had to have a serious talk with Sir Alex Ferguson. I had to tell him, I'm like, hey, Gaffer, I'm hoping this year, after my loan spell, after a positive loan spell in Serie A, that I'm able to find more time on the team. I know it's hard because we have great players. I have great players in front of me, and it's okay. But I hope that you know, there's that consideration of me finding time. Uh, the gaffer obviously tells me, listen, there is no guarantees in soccer, um, and I understand your concerns. Let's think about it. Let's see what happens uh, during, you know, during the summer or whatnot, and we'll, make a, and we'll, we'll talk about it more. We'll make certain decisions. I'm like, no problem. At that time, Carlos Queiroz was the second coach of the team. He was running the training sessions. He had a lot of influence on decision-making, um, in the first team and players who were brought in and who were brought out, who was playing, who was not playing. He was bringing in his players. He brought in Nani. Uh, he brought in Anderson. And uh, I had a conversation with Carlos Queiroz 
about this, how I wanted to play more, how I wanted to find time to, you know, continue what I, what, what I started, which was at Parma, uh, to build, you know, my name in this game, to show the world my talents. And um, the conversation that I had with him didn't go how I planned. He wasn't supportive of it. It seemed as if he saw me as a threat to the players that he was bringing in, to the players that he wanted to push. And remember what I said, that he had a lot of influence on what was happening among the players of the first team. So after training a few weeks, um, having that conversation with Kadosh, it made me realize that the time, my time at Manchester United was, was up only because of the fact that I wouldn't be finding that, that continuity as a young player to continue to grow. And it was a shame. It was a shame because I know that if the decision uh, was left to only Charles Ferguson, I would have been there and things probably would have been different. But during that time, like I said, Kadosh was, was a big guy. He was a big guy. And therefore, the decision to leave Manchester United happened. And I was lucky enough to have had different offers from different teams. Um, I remember Sunderland actually wanted me. I remember Fiorentina wanted me. But the one that stuck out the most was Villarreal. Villarreal at that moment was a team that just played the semifinals of the Champions League that had great players like Marco Senna, Riquelme, Forlan. They were in European uh, tournaments, if it was the Champions League or if it was the UEFA Cup. And therefore, the conversations I had with them, um, it, just, it just felt right. And uh, I made the decision to become a Villarreal player. So I've talked a lot about me coming up as a young player, trying to find space, trying to cement myself at the top level. And it's never an easy journey. One thing that you do have to find is that self-belief, is that trust in what you're doing is actually the right, is, is actually the right way to go about your job. Continuing to keep that dream alive because what happens is that you're going to find many obstacles along the way. Are you capable of keeping the dream alive while these obstacles are in front of you? That's such an important, important part of a youth, of a young, young kid trying to find his way in the professional, in the professional uh, leagues. Certain obstacles that I'm noticing with the youth today are first-team directors, first-team coaches, whoever it is that makes the decisions for these young kids to play or not, is the lack of patience that these people have with the youth. If you remember what I said about my time at Manchester United, my first impact with the first team, is how different the physicality is, the pace of play, the decision-making. Those are things that need time. Those are things that you know, don't come naturally. You have to be part of an environment to gain those attributes, right? Today, unfortunately, we give up too easily on the youth. We want immediate results. Is it because of the times that we're in today? Not only in soccer, but in the world? Are we focusing too much on financial aspects of things rather than actually giving the right time to develop? The word developing, right? If you think about the word developing, it kind of, it kind of makes you think of, you know, time where you have to give time to make this thing grow, to make it into what you want. And that's what the youth today are finding themselves against. I believe that it's important to find the right environment for yourself to grow. Even if you have to leave something that's so good, going to a place that's going to give you that confidence, that's going to give you that time, the possibility to make mistakes and learn from them, that's the right environment for a youth. Back in the day, yeah. Big teams, too. They had that patience. They had that special environment for these young players to excel in, to make them feel comfortable in. But now that we're finding more money being pumped into these leagues, more money being pumped into uh, these teams, the immediate result is needed to justify that investment. How they say, right? Time is money. Money is time. So that's kind of what the motto is today 
in sports. Are you, as a youth, as a young player in soccer, are you capable of canceling out all these distractions? Are you capable of staying true to your beliefs? Are you able to find the right environment for yourself to excel in? All these distractions, all these obstacles that are in front of you are only fortifying your mental state, are only making you better. How do you look at these obstacles? Do you look at them as something that is, that is keeping you away from the game? Or are you looking at these obstacles as something that is going to make you better? Right? The way that you approach these things is so important. The belief that you have to have in yourself to get past these things is, is what's needed to make it to the next level. Right? Because the game is played so much up here that if you're able to understand the mental aspect of the game at such a young age, it's just going to make yourself, it's, it's, it's just going to make it everything so much easier for you, right? I'm hoping, I'm hoping this changes. I'm hoping that the focus is put in the right place, which is, yes, getting results at the first team level, 100%. That's very important. But also the focus on developing these young kids because what's happening, and I'm going to say it in Italy because that's where I know the most. In Italy, we're lacking. We're lacking the development of talent, which doesn't mean that we don't have talent, but it's the development of talent because we went away from believing in these young kids, giving them the possibility to go out in the first team and showcase their talent. I don't believe that what they're learning at the youth levels is wrong. I don't believe what they're, what they're being taught at the youth level I don't think so, because you find passionate coaches that still love the game, that still love the kids in Italy, that want to teach them the game. I believe that once they're at that cusp of from youth to the first team, that's, that's where things have to get better at. That's where the belief from the top of the food chain, which are the coaches, which are the directors of the first team, show that belief in these young kids where they're put in situations in an environment where they're able to excel. And it's okay if they make mistakes. It's okay if they mess a, mess a game up. It's okay if they make a few mistakes in training. That's all part of development. That's all part of giving them these kids time to find that extra level, to give them that confidence that I could be somebody in this game. In Italy, we're always, it seems like we're always trying to play catch-up. Always trying to catch up to the next best thing. And in England... And in Spain, maybe they have a little bit more belief in these young players. We see a lot of talent in La Liga. We see a lot of talent in the Premiership League. We see a lot of talent in the Bundesliga. Young talent. Where these, where these teams trust. Where these teams give them the possibility to be put in that position to grow. And to showcase their talent. So when you're trying to catch up, when you're trying to copy other people, what happens is that it's not genuine. It's not a genuine feeling to bring forward a youth. It's more of like a forced thing. And therefore, you're forcing this idea of bringing this youth to the first team to play or whatnot. They make mistakes. It can happen that maybe it's not the best showing. So what happens is that since you don't really believe in that part, and it's not really part of your way of, 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 of growing a club, uh, of it's not part of your culture, guess what happens? You're going you're, you're, you're gonna to easily put that to the side. Next, what's going to happen? Doesn't play well. You're going to easily put that to the side. Next player, and the next player, and the next player, because you don't feel it as if it's part of your culture. Because if it's part of your culture, if it's, if it's something that you believe in, right, you're going to give it time. You're going you're, you're, you're gonna to cuddle it. You're going to make sure that that idea is going to become a good idea. That it's going to actually lead to something positive. If you believe in it. If you make it yours. If it's part of your culture. But that's not what it is with Italy. You're trying to catch up to the ideas of other leagues, of other teams, and hoping that maybe one out of a hundred stick. So once you make it, once, they, once Italy starts feeling that the idea of bringing up the youth is theirs, and they care for that idea, and they really want to see that excel, they're going to give the right focus to the youth system, to those players 
who have that good talent because there are good players in Italy. There are. They just need to be put in the right environment. They need to be in the right environment to have the right people around them to grow. Once that becomes part of our culture again, then that's when we'll start developing the right talent and be proud of our players and be proud of the quality that we're producing. And now we have Pepito's hot take. My hot take for this week, since we've been talking a lot about leagues, the Premiership League, La Liga, Serie A, Bundesliga, I've mentioned these leagues during this episode. I'm going to tell you guys what my favorite league is and why I believe it's the best league in the world for the past 10, 15 years. The best league in the world is La Liga. You guys are all probably saying you're crazy. I'll tell you why. La Liga is the league that true soccer is played. What is true soccer? True soccer is decision-making when you have the ball at your feet. I don't care about the physicality of the game. I don't care about the running. I don't care about the tackling. That's just another aspect of the game. But the first aspect that every young kid learns and wants to learn is how are you able to manipulate the ball when it's at your feet. You look at the technical aspect of the game in La Liga, any level, from Real Madrid, Barcelona, to the lowest. It's just so clean, it's just so pure, it's just so natural. And that was something that stuck to me big time when I first went in La Liga, was the quality of play. Yeah, maybe the tactical aspect is a little bit off, especially on the, on the defensive side, because in Spain, they just like the goals. They like the chances. They like any technical uh, thing that is, that is displayed during those 90 minutes. And I believe that the game, that the game is played with your feet. If you're able to be, if you're able to find the confidence uh, playing with your feet and the decision-making that you're able to make while the ball is at your feet, that's what, that, that, that's what just propels you to be different. Um, that's, what, that's why for me it's, it was so important to be exceptional at every aspect when it came to manipulating the ball with your feet. And that for me is true soccer. If you guys disagree, let me know. But I do want to hear also your opinion on why La Liga or any other league is the best league in the world. Thanks for listening to episode two. I hope you guys enjoy it. See you next time.